Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about the surprising early history of almond milk. Then you'll learn about some basic physics principles that can help us understand why good teams kill great ideas with physicist and entrepreneur Safi Bacall. Let's satisfy some curiosity. When you think of almond milk, you probably envision vegans ordering dairy-free lattes at Starbucks or something the lactose intolerant pour on their cereal. Either way, it's a pretty recent invention, right? Wrong. Almond milk has been around since at least the 12th century, and it was a staple of the medieval diet. When it comes to life in Europe in the Middle Ages, you can attribute many facets of life to religious demands. And almond milk is no different. A lot of the medieval Christian diet was restricted by the church. And importantly, that includes fish days, when you weren't allowed to consume meat, or any product of a warm-blooded animal, for that matter. So it's pretty easy to see how almond milk would fit into that context. It was a substitute for those days when you weren't allowed to pour cow's milk on your medieval Fruit Loops. Medieval doctors also knew about the medical benefits. Specifically, they thought the little nuts were particularly good for the brains of young scholars. So that explains why cookbooks and medical texts going back to the 12th century prominently feature almond milk recipes. But the more you look at recipes from the period, the more you find items like blemanger, a type of pudding made with almond milk, stewed chicken, and lots of sugar. Almond milk or no, that's one meal that's not going to fly during Lent. In reality, almond milk probably became a favorite ingredient of the upper classes because it was expensive and exotic. Plus, it takes on coloring really well, and medieval Gordon Ramsays loved to liven up their meals by mixing in coloring agents like violets, beets, and cornflowers. That all adds up to a must-have ingredient for any fancy 14th century pantry. And any fancy 14th century party! Give me some of that almond milk pumpkin spice peasantry! Peasantry. Peasantry. (laughs) Wait, let's go back. I'm so confused. (laughs) Today's episode is sponsored by Captera. It's 2020. Time to hit Control-Alt-Delete and start fresh. Simplify the way you do business this year with Captera, the website over 1 million people use monthly to find software. Captera simplifies the software search to just a few easy steps. And they don't just help with the software search. They help you make the most of your software, too. Search and compare software and get free guides and tools, read tips for your industry, and much more. Get started at captera.com curiosity. Captera helps your business thrive by making the software buying process as easy and effective as possible and by educating you on how to get the most out of your software tools and services before and after buying. We've been stepping up production lately with lots of exciting guests. And what do you know? Captera has a whole category full of production scheduling software. You can thank Captera for helping us find the right software to make Curiosity Daily sound great. So visit captera.com curiosity for free today to find the tools to make an informed software decision for your business. captera.com curiosity. Captera, that's C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A dot com slash curiosity. Captera, software selection simplified. Would you believe that basic principles of physics can teach us a lot about teamwork and entrepreneurship? Well, you will once you've heard from today's guest, author Safi Bacall. He's a physicist and a biotech CEO who took his company public and among many other accomplishments, worked for President Obama's Council of Science Advisors. Safi is also the author of the new book, Loon Shots, How to Nurture the Crazy Ideas that Win Wars, Cure Diseases, and Transform Industries. 
Last week, Safi explained that loon shots take us to places we've never been before. But big ideas like modern rockets don't always take off, even though sometimes it feels like it should be an obvious choice that we encourage them. Here's Safi with some science to illustrate why this happens. Why do good teams kill great ideas? And that seems like a really strange thing. If you have a bunch of people and they're all excited about a project or an idea and you put them together, why would they kill that idea when they come together? But that's exactly what happens. And that's what companies are so afraid of. And that's what managers and leaders, and that's what frustrates people who are developing ideas where individually people are excited. So why do good teams kill great ideas? So to answer that question in a way that's never been done before, I want you to imagine a glass of water. Imagine a glass of water, and I stick my finger in. As I swirl it around, the molecules just slosh around my finger. But when I lower the temperature, as the temperature crosses 32 Fahrenheit, all of a sudden the behavior of those molecules completely changes. The water freezes. It goes totally rigid. I can't stick my finger in anymore. Why? The molecules inside are exactly the same. So how did they know to suddenly change behavior? There's no CEO molecule with a bullhorn saying, oh, it's 33 Fahrenheit, everybody slosh around. No, wait, it's 31, everybody line up and be, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, it's 33, everybody slosh. They just do it. And so that answer of why they do it helps us understand why groups act in such strange ways. Because there are phase transitions. In science, that's called a phase transition. And this is actually much more than an analogy. And what I do in Loon Shots is show you how you create an underlying theory. And I sort of hid that in the back with the equations. But you can actually start from first principles and show that the same principles that happen in a glass of water, which is two competing forces that helps explain that transition, happens whenever you organize people into a group. You create these two competing forces. So ultimately, the reason that groups change behavior, they change from embracing wild new ideas to rigidly rejecting them, is the same reason that a glass of water will change from being molecules sloshing around to being totally rigid, even though nobody says anything. And what it tells you, it gives you a completely different way to think about the behavior of groups and teams and companies because it tells you that no amount of a manager sitting on the top and telling people, oh, everybody, let's just sing Kumbaya and hold hands and watch movies about being innovative or whatever is going to make any difference. Just like no amount of someone yelling at a block of ice, hey, molecules, why don't you just loosen up a little bit, is going to melt that block of ice. But a small change in temperature can get that job done. Small change in temperature can melt steel. So that's what makes this stuff so interesting is once you understand What are those two forces, the tension of those two forces? Just like in a glass of water, you have this tension between two forces. And when you organize people into a group, you create these two forces. Once you understand those forces and you understand that transition, you can begin to manage it. For example, when it snows at night, what do you sprinkle on your sidewalk? Salt. Salt. Why do you sprinkle salt on your sidewalk? Because the salt changes the balance of those two forces. So the two forces in a glass of Water is entropy, which is just a fancy word for saying run around and be free. And binding energy, which is a force that wants to lock every molecule 2.8 angstroms, not 2.7, not 2.9. And it's the balance of those forces that determines whether you're liquid or solid. At high temperature, entropy wins. And then as you lower the temperature, boom, 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 entropy gets weaker and weaker and weaker, and binding energy gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And then boom, at 32, they cross the system suddenly snaps, that tug of war between these two forces flips side, 
and the water suddenly freezes. It has nothing to do with culture or yelling at the molecules. It's just the temperature. And that's the key to understand a totally different way to think about the behavior of groups. Once you understand those forces and that transition, you can begin to manage it. So you sprinkle salt. Why? Well, it makes the molecules less sticky. It makes the binding energy weaker. So they're less likely to bind, less likely to be rigid. So what does that do? It lowers the freezing point. So when you step on your sidewalk in the morning, you wet your shoe in a puddle instead of slip on a block of ice and end up in the hospital. So that once you understand that and work that out, and it's, because it's more than an analogy, it's actually a series of equations, and you can write down what are those incentives in a group. Once you understand that and write that down, it gives you a whole new set of insights for the things that are the equivalent of a sprinkling a little bit of salt to design teams that are more likely to embrace wild new ideas. I really liked this part of our conversation with Safi because it's cool to look at things through the lens of phase transitions in physics. Scientists have actually applied the phase transition idea to systems like cars on a highway and even to humans at rock concerts. And just like how you can use a set of equations to look at a phase transition, Safi offers what he calls the innovation equation at the end of his new book, Loon Shots. It's an actual mathematical way to design more innovative companies. Like he told us, you just have to understand the forces at work whenever you organize people into a group. As for what those forces are and how to deal with them, you'll just have to tune in next Thursday when Safi joins us again for a masterclass in group psychology. So what did we learn today? Well, apparently my almond milk latte isn't as new and original as I thought because it was popular back in the Middle Ages. Yeah, well, you're just drinking a little bit of history. (laughs) It's great. Just taste that 14th century history. Or 12th or 17th. Take your pick. Whichever is your favorite. Yeah. And okay, so let me get this straight. Water is liquid or solid based on the balance between two forces, entropy and binding energy. And in the same way, there are forces at work in groups of people. And understanding those forces can help you figure out how to design teams to embrace innovation. Yes. You can always have the same group of people, but the way they're organized, the way that they interact, that's what makes the difference between a good team and a bad team. That's super cool. Yeah. Today's first story was written by Ruben Westmus and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Script writing was by Cody Goff and Sonia Hodgen. Curiosity Daily is produced and edited by Cody Goff. Join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.